My name is Pastor Peter. If this is your first time here, we want to thank you for coming. We're so grateful that you decided to spend today uh, celebrating the, the birth of Christ as a congregation. We're so glad you came here today. If you're broadcasting online right now, we're, we're so happy that you're also with us as well. And we want you to know that we, we want you to feel connected to us online, on Facebook, uh, even on our website. You can reach out to us. We have pastors online right now that are ready to talk to you, to pray with you, to be connected to you. We, we, we want you to feel like that you're a part of our congregation too because relationship matters, doesn't it? Relationship matters. That is the foundation of our faith is a relationship with Jesus Christ. We just watched a video there about World War I. Believe it or not, this is 100 years since the end of World War I. The armistice began. That was that nations decided to lay down their armaments. They decided to call a truce and end the war 100 years ago today. So that was in, 19, not today, sorry, this year. That was in 1918. Seems so long ago, doesn't it? But for anybody who was a part of that or remembers it, it's not so long ago. Because it's amazing when you go through a war, when you go through difficulty, it's fresh in your heart. It's fresh in your life. It's only long ago for someone like me because I was never a part of it. But today I want to talk about an amazing story that came out of World War I that I remember hearing when I was a child and I never really understood the, the significance of it until I've gotten to the age now where I really start to appreciate this. Today I want to talk about when the guns fell silent on Christmas. When World War I started, it actually started with this guy called Gavrilo Princip. I don't know if anyone's called, uh, decided to uh, name their children. They're about to have children and they've decided to, uh, dis they're looking for some names. May I suggest Gavrilo Princip? I've never heard of that name before. But Gavrilo Princip actually was the guy of 19 years age who killed this guy called Archduke Franz Ferdinand. This was the original hipster who put his mustache to curl upwards. Now this guy was an archduke that wasn't even a king. He wasn't even in charge of the country that he came from. But his death is the death that started off World War I. It was the name of the war that was meant to be called the war that would end all wars. Has anyone heard that phrase before? But it didn't quite happen. Gavrilo was a guy who was just 19 years old. He was a Serbian. And what had happened was Archduke Franz Ferdinand was a, a representative of the, of the Austrian Empire, the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, and they had taken over many parts of Europe and taken over different countries, etc. And so he was in the, 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 the Serbian region, and he was traveling into, in this country, you know, just doing the, the tour of a royal tour of this country, and his car took a wrong turn, and he went down the wrong street, and his driver realized it and decided that he had to stop the car and reverse, but the car conked out. Gavrilo was sitting at a, a cafe and couldn't believe his luck that one of the, the, the heads, one of the representatives of the colonial power of Austro-Hungarian Empire had suddenly walked, had driven down his street and he took the opportunity to pull his gun out and he killed Franz Ferdinand. And that day was the day that set off a fight like we had never seen before. So much so that this man wasn't just assassinated, but during one, a period of one week, there was declarations of war. And all these declarations of war was Austria decided to declare war on Serbia. 
But they're not the only country that decided to declare war. After Austria declared war on Serbia, Russia declared war on Austria. And then Germany came along and they declared war on Russia. And then France came along and they declared war on Germany. And then Great Britain came, or Germany came along, they declared war on Belgium. And finally, Britain declared war on Germany. Everybody was declaring war on everybody. It's a little insane, isn't it, to think, what, what, why were they so upset? Because this is what happens when a war starts in your family. This is what happens when wars happen between communities or between countries. You don't just pick a fight with that person. You pick a, you pick a fight with every person who is now in love with that person, who is supporting that person, who is friends with that person. See, we don't just pick fights with one particular person. Usually, you find out there's someone who's beside them who has made a pact with them or a friendship with them or have decided, hey, if you go to war or anyone picks on you, I will support you. I will step up to actually help you out. And within the period of less than a week, all these countries declared war on each other. The fascinating thing I find with this war is that this was one of the first wars. In fact, I believe this was the first war that, created this new warfare called trench warfare. Has anyone ever heard of that before? Trench warfare is where they dig in, where they decide to take their, their, their area, they take their land, and they decide to dig into, their, their, into, into where they have claimed or staked their area. And they'd say, you will not pass me. You, if you're gonna have to get, if you're gonna get to my country, if you're gonna get to my family, you're gonna have to go through me first. If you're going to get to what you think you're trying to take, you're going to have to get through me first. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to dig in. And so as they dug in, they were there for four years. Can you believe that? They said it was one of the most horrific ways to fight was to be stuck in this. And I remember when I was a child hearing from my teacher who was an old man and he said he remembers stories of what they called trench foot when they got disease in their feet and they got disease in their, in their bodies because they were in one of the most disgusting areas but they dug in and all the armies did it. Here's the most mind-boggling stats that I've come across that I, I, recently. Was they dug in, they only dug in for 25, there was 25 miles of trenches, 25 miles miles of trenches. And for four years, 20 million people died. Think about that. 20 million people is 10 times the size of greater Orlando. Not Orlando, but greater Orlando. That's all the small towns and cities that surround Orlando. 10 times the size of our city that we live in died over four years. Here's what's more mind-boggling. They had 25 miles of trenches, and for four years, 20 million people gave their life and were sacrificed, and the allies only gained seven miles of region. Does that blow your mind? Does that blow anyone else's mind? It's like a picture of, I believe, what happens to many of us when we get involved in fights in our family. When we get involved in fights politically or emotionally or relationally or ideologically, the more we get ingrained or we get dug into our corner that we're going to fight for this and this is the right way and that's the wrong way. And maybe you're not even trying to fight. Maybe someone else is fighting and you feel like you've got to defend yourself, but you're digging yourself into your position. And then years later, you discover that not only have you had relationships that have been sacrificed, but you didn't move forward. 
This is what we call a stalemate. A stalemate is when there is no progress. A stalemate is when nothing is gained. A stalemate is when there is a deadlock. A stalemate is when nothing happens. You're still in the same position. I wonder if any of you have got your families in that position. I wonder if you, any of you are in that position yourself with someone that's in your family or even with God himself or maybe with your neighbors or maybe with past friends where there's something that hasn't changed and hasn't moved forward. Old issues that you used to feel when you were young are still fresh in your heart. You can still remember them. You can still command them to the surface of your emotions and you're a stalemate in your life. Here is an amazing story that came out of World War I, though. In the middle of this war of 25 miles of trenches, of four years of 20 million people being slaughtered, and with only seven miles being gained, there was one moment and one time that happened on Christmas Day, and this is a true story, where someone decided to praise the day when Jesus came to earth and became one of us. And the story goes that they began to sing Christmas carols on Christmas. And as they began to bring, sing Christmas carols, the other line started to sing Christmas carols too. And they were singing this song together in the middle of the night. And the next day, one of them decided to get up and go into what they call no man's land. No man's land is where if you decide to step foot on that ground, you're going to die. It doesn't belong to anyone, and that's the, the space and the border, the silence that we have to create between us and our enemy, and so that, though that we will never be able to try and uh, uh, be able to overtake the other person. And someone decided to take a step into no man's land, and the rest was history. And the rest of them came up into no man's land, and they decided to celebrate Christmas on that day. Because of that very day, they actually called this now officially they called it the, the truce of 1914. The truce of 1914. It literally has a name. When someone decided to say, I will no longer fight, but I will stand up and say, I am no longer going to fight. I am no longer going to be in this fight anymore. And the other side reciprocated back. It affected the war so much in that area that literally the next day and the days after, the commanders and the generals and the officers couldn't get their soldiers to shoot at each other. Why? Because as soon as you get to know your enemy, as soon as you look past your differences, as soon as you see them as human, how can you bring yourself to shoot that person? How can you kill that person? It's not possible. And so they had a problem. The, the forces had a problem. What they had to do is they had to reassign those soldiers to different parts of the war so they would start fighting people that they didn't think of as people. They had to decide to take their energies and reassign them to somewhere else to get involved in a different fight. But imagine if they had decided to let that domino effect from one person to the next person. Imagine if they had just taken that truce and they just decided to affect and they left everything as it was and from man to man to man to man, they decided to let it go down the line and say, listen, why don't we just call a truce? Why don't we decide not to fight? If we can get other people involved in our fight, can we get other people to not be involved in our fight anymore? Can we affect other people in such a way to lay down their arms and to change their decision today to not fight the people who have been hurting them and who they are now hurting as well? This got to the place where they literally had to come up with a new rule of war. It's called no fraternization with the enemy. Have you heard that before? 
They literally had to make a new rule because they discovered a problem in war, and that is when you decide to call a truce and see your enemy as a human, your heart changes. What's a truce? A truce is a suspension in the fight. It's when someone decides to say, let's stop this. A truce is an agreement to stop fighting or arguing for a certain time. It's not even a decision to say we'll no longer fight again. It's just saying, today we decide to move on from this. And there are four things that I've seen in this whole story. Four things about what you need for a truce. And number one is this. Someone has to take the first step. Someone has to take a step out of where they have dug into and take a step out of that, 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 that trench and to get up into no man's land and take a step towards the other person to take a step towards deciding I'm no longer going to fight you. Listen, why not us as Christians? Why not us as Northwest? Why not us saying we declare a truce on the battles in our family? We declare a truce on the battles in our politics. We declare a truce on Facebook. We declare a truce on wherever we are getting a fight that is coming to our front doorstep. Guess what? I no longer choose to be in this fight anymore. It doesn't mean that you've necessarily changed your opinion or changed your thought about the person or you've changed your position whatsoever. All you've done is decided to say, I'm no longer gonna be in this fight. Can I hear a shout of amen? amen. Listen, it's amazing if we decide to take the first step, we can be done with it. It's amazing how, how often even couples and families can get to the place where they enact the power of silence. It doesn't even have to be just between couples and marriage. It can literally be between families in different states and different countries and different cities. We'll just no longer see them anymore. We'll no longer talk with them. I love a story of a, of a couple who decided to just have silence between them. They were in such a fight with each other and they couldn't come to an agreement. They just decided to resort to silence with each other. And the next day, the husband had to catch a flight at five o'clock in the morning. And, and so he wrote a note to his wife and said, can you get me up in the morning, please? Because I need to catch a flight that leaves at five o'clock. The next morning, he wakes up at nine o'clock just in a tizzy and just wasn't, why did his wife not wake him up though, for him to roll over and find a little note at four o'clock in the morning that says, time to wake up. <laughs> it's amazing what we will resort to when you think that you can outplay the other person. Let me tell you, I've always found they will always outplay you back. When you think you have an answer that is the root answer that's going to deal with this whole situation, like, well, if they say this, then I'll say that, and that'll deal with the whole situation. No, it won't. It's just going to bring something else up. Whatever you think you're going to outplay, they're going to outplay you. Let me tell you, someone has to take the first step. That's the only way you can stop fighting is if you choose to stop fighting. Someone has to take the first step. Number two is this. We must be willing to drop our weapons. We have to put our weapons down. You even have to put your ideology down. You have to put your opinions down. You have to put your arguments down. It doesn't mean that you've changed your argument. It doesn't mean that you've changed your opinion. It's just that you're putting them down and saying, I will no longer use them against you. I will no longer fight you anymore. Why is this so important? Because we have to get to the place where people are more important than our ideologies and our arguments. Someone shout, hallelujah. People have to be more important than what our ideologies are. It's the same with anyone who's not a, a Christian. 
Just because they're not a Christian and they don't subscribe to what I believe does not mean that I should not love them anymore, does not mean that I shouldn't treat them as human, does not mean that they are not a son or a daughter of God that is ready to be saved at some point in their future, but today they don't decide to agree with you because I disagree with them doesn't mean I shouldn't, I shouldn't love them. I should love them. It doesn't mean I have to agree with their position or their politics or, or that they don't believe, that, you know, they don't have to agree that it's maybe there's a chance that maybe God doesn't exist or something. Listen, that, none of that matters. What matters is I have to be a son of God. I have to love them with everything that I have. The third thing that I found in this story was this, that you have to focus on what unites you. We have to focus on what unites us together. Can I tell you the number one way that I've found that this works for me? The best way that I've found that this works for me is to spend time with the other person. Whenever we are in counseling between families that might be having a conflict, either between spouses or between siblings or or between friends even, the one thing that I'm always looking for is this. How do you spend time with each other? And oftentimes, one of the things that I find missing in the relationship is that they're not actually spending time with each other just to love one another. Oh, no, we have dinner together with all the kids. I'm like, okay, no, that's good. I'm glad you eat together. Oh, no, no, we, 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 we watch TV together. That's wonderful that you watch TV together. But I'm talking about how many times you sit down and say, you and me, let's just go get a cup of coffee and just talk about life. Don't talk about issues. Don't talk about problems. Talk about just life. Not that you're giving your opinion about this or that. Avoid all that stuff. Just say, what has your day been like? How has your week been? Does your life stink? Have you got some issues? And, and we're, we're praying for the Ramirez family that are probably tuning in right now. They were in a car crash last night. A drunk driver T-boned them and they've got three small children or maybe four or five. You always seem to get another one every year. But, but, but we wanna, you want you to know that we love you and we pray for you and that we're so glad that God has had, had his hand on you to protect you. But listen, that's news that maybe some of you didn't know because you haven't spent time with the Ramirez family. Fair enough, maybe you don't know them very well. But listen, when you spend time with someone else, you get to know them. You get to know the things that they like and the things that they dislike. You get to think, know the things that are actually in their heart. What are you looking for at this Christmas time. If you could have endless amounts of money, what would you do in life? What would you change in the world? Ask interesting questions to a person and you'll get interesting answers. Ask opinionated questions and you'll get opinionated answers. Let me tell you, when you dig into your trenches, you'll get buried in a mound of opinions and anger. I want to be unburied by that stuff. I want to be in the position where I get to know a person This is the best way I believe that you get to unite yourself with someone else. Not looking for places or things that you can agree on. Well, I agree on this politic and I agree on this thing and the way that the government should be and I agree on the way the world should be this way. That doesn't have to be. That doesn't have to exist. But can you love the person as you're talking to them? Can you spend time with them at this Christmas time? Can you make a phone call to someone that you have not heard of for a while that you don't particularly like having a conversation with? Listen, it has to start with us. It has to start with us who call ourselves Christians. Hello. Here's the last thing that I've learned in this whole story that's really cool. The last thing that I've learned is you have to let your heart be changed. Why is that so important? Because if your heart is not changed, you'll go back to the fight when someone lets off a gunfire. 
when someone says a sniping, snidey remark to you, when someone lets off a big shell that will come over to you and it will just blow an emotional bomb into the room. They'll say something that's cutting or hurtful or something. And let me tell you, if you have only decided to, make, to, to wave the, the, the white flag and call a truce, but your heart hasn't been changed, they get, to char- they get to start the fight up again and something inside of you rises up and then you put your fists up and now you're back in the fight. But if your heart is changed, you're not back in the fight. You see, this is the difference between a resolution and a reconciliation. A resolution is something that we do as humans. It's something that we do in the world. Reconciliation is something that comes from God. In fact, we use the term conflict resolution when we're talking about countries that are fighting each other. We talk about conflict resolution when we're talking about families that fight with each other. Lawyers have to do this all day long. They have to do this when they're dealing with divorces and they have to find a way to find a resolution between the two parties where you get this and you get that. You're right with that. You're right with this. And we're now equally right and we're now equal in our positions, but there's no reconciliation whatsoever. That's the way of the world. But God calls us to something greater. He says, listen, there is something that is far better than this, and it is the way of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Reconciliation is to restore friendly relations. It's also to restore the balance to zero. It says, no, we don't have an outstanding balance towards each other. We don't have a fight anymore. This is why Christ came, is what the Bible says. In fact, at Christmas time, we even sing this. We say, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners, what? Reconciled. It doesn't say God and sinners came up with a solution where they can work around each other and live with each other once again. No, it says that they were reconciled. They are brought back together again. This is the restoring of friendly relations. This is to bring the balance back to zero. And I believe at Christmas time, this was the beginning when Jesus was born. When Jesus stepped into this world and he became both man and he became God at the same time, well, he was already God, but he became one of us. He, it was the beginning when the balance was brought back to zero again. That literally means that when he died on a cross, all the sins, all the debt of sin that you had in your life no longer was counted against you anymore. But it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his responsibility. It was up to us to have to bring our balance back to zero. But Christ knew that someone had to step in and say, I'm calling a truce on this. I'm gonna start the process of saying, let's bring everyone back together again. And because of what he did by, 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 by making the balance back to zero again, he was able to bring us close to God. Let me tell you, if you're in a relationship with someone that you have an outstanding debt with, where they owe you something, where they have done you wrong, you have the power to bring that balance back to zero and say, I hold it against you no more. Hello. Ephesians says this, for he himself is our peace. He's talking about Jesus who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the thing that stopped us from coming to God, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. 
See, this is what happens when you get into a fight, when you have a disagreement. You suddenly start coming up with laws and regulations to demand and command that the other person has to change. Hello. He didn't say, what I'll do is I'll change all the people and then we'll get them back with God. No, no, no. He said, I'm going to take away all these laws and regulations. I'm removing them. I'm going to give them the opportunity to come back to God. But they see, the thing is, we can only come back to God through Jesus. That's why it says that no one comes to the Father but through the Son. No one comes to the Father but through the Son. Why? Because he had the power and the ability, and he's the one who set aside in his flesh, in his body, in his ways, in his behavior, through his sacrifice, he set aside all these commands and regulations that we couldn't even live up to. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to what? Let me say again, to what? Reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Listen, this is the joy of Christmas time. It's not that there's just a cute little baby in a manger and we get to put lights on our Christmas trees and on our houses, right? It's because someone came to change our lives. Someone came to take away the hostility between us and God. And here's the great thing. He has come to give us the power. Let me say it again. He has come to give us the power to remove our hostility between us and our family too, our neighbors, our friends. How do I know that? Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 20, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is there anyone in Christ in here? Hello? If anyone, so we're talking about you, you, you. For those that didn't put your hand up, I got second guesses about you. I'm not too sure, okay? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. You're a different person. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, what did he give us? The ministry of reconciliation. He just gave you a gift. I don't know if that sunk in with any of you right now. He gave you the gift and the power to bring reconciliation to the relationships that you have no hope for. Hello. As a Christian, we should be filled with this hope that we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? That is that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I love this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. We get to have that power. We get to have that, those words. We get to be the ones that wave the flag. We get to be the ones that step up into no man's land. Is there a chance you might get shot down? Yes, sir, there is. But thanks God, with your family, yes, sir, there is. But thanks be to God, he's in the business of resurrection as well as reconciliation. And whatever you have to die to, he will raise you up to be more powerful, more influential, and a greater vessel of Jesus Christ than anyone has ever seen in your family ever ever before. 
Why? Because you've changed. You're now the one who, whose, whose laws and regulations and hurts and, and, and problems in, in your family's life, you're now the one that has, has all died in your body. It's died in your life. It's all done now with you. You're finished. It's over. It's great. You can walk into no man's land now and say, hey, I'm taking the step first step forward. I just want to reach out and say Merry Christmas to you. I want to reach out and say, let's get some coffee sometime. Let's just catch up. Let's just talk about life. That's what a Christian does. That's what someone who has the ministry of reconciliation does. I get it. When you've been through a war and you've been hurt, you can often be at the place where you have spiritual PTSD to some degree. It's true. I was doing some, uh, I was doing some um, uh, research into my history in my family, going back to generations to, to the 1800s and even to the 1700s, and I found all these different grandfathers and granduncles that I had that, that fought in World War I. There was one particular guy who joined the army, and he got shot within the first month, and he got killed within the first month on the front line at 17 years old. I looked at my grandfather, my, my, uh, uh, um, actually my great-grandfather, and I looked into his history, and I noticed that he was living in Canada, but his family was in Scotland still. And I spoke to my mom about it, and I said, why is he in Canada, and, why, and why, why are they still in Scotland? She said, because they abandoned my mother. They, he abandoned my mother when she was just a child. And I'm like, why did he abandon her? Because we don't know. So I was looking into the history of what had happened, and he actually got seconded. He got, uh, he got put into the, into the front line of World War I, where he was made a medic. And I can only imagine the stuff that he saw and the horrors that he saw. And when he came back, he promised his, uh, my grandmother and, and her sister uh, dance lessons that when his dad died, he would take the inheritance and he would help them to have dance lessons. And as soon as he got the inheritance, he went on the first boat he could find to get as far away as possible to get to the other side of Canada. He went to Vancouver and I found his grave and everything. And I, and I called my mom up and I said, mom, he died when you were 16 years old. And she said, that's one of the saddest things I've ever heard. I never got to say goodbye to my own grandfather. He was alive when I was 16, she said. I can't believe this. This is what happens when wars take root in our family. They devastate our lives. They devastate our relationships. But someone has to call a truce. There are people in your family that are probably on the other side of a country, on the other side of a state. They're somewhere else and they've been devastated by whatever war has been going on in your family. The good news is this, that when Jesus came, he came to bring us peace to give us life and life to the full, to bring us the power of reconciliation. It's got to start with us. Who's with me on this one? Who wants to call a truce on your family this year? Who wants to call a truce on the battle that goes on in your heart of am I good enough or am I, am I not good enough? Does God love me? Does he have something great for me? It's time to call a truce and come to the Father. It's time to call a truce on behalf of your family and say this year, for 2019, we're gonna see restoration happen in our family. Who's with me? Let's stand this morning, shall we? Father, we want to thank you right now. We wanna thank you that you have given us the ministry of reconciliation. It doesn't mean we become doormats. 
It doesn't mean that we pretend like we don't believe what we believe. It doesn't mean that we agree with someone else. It just means we no longer fight. I'm no longer going to be in the battle. Lord, give us the faith to believe that our prayers are more powerful than our opinions. That we can pray the change into our family. That we can pray the restoration into our lives. That we can pray the Christmas spirit of Jesus coming, the beginning of the path of reconciliation. We can pray that into our families this Christmas for children that are far away, for children that have maybe walked away from the faith, for parents who are maybe bitter and don't talk to you anymore, for siblings that don't really answer the call anymore. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that something would come alive, that something will change in your family in the name of Jesus for the power of reconciliation. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. I hope you have an awesome Christmas. Have a great day.